to all the listeners of the banter. I just really wanted to get on here real quick before we start the podcast for today and do a quick little ask. My company, Wiscoat LLC here in Wisconsin, has been nominated for the Best of the Web Award at the Pavement Maintenance and Reconstruction 2021 Awards uh, that will be awarded at NPE. So if you could real quick do us a favor, either pop over to our Instagram page at Wiscoat LLC or on the Blacktop Banter page on Instagram at Blacktop Banter and go to our bios. You can find the links there to vote for Wiscoat to be Best of the Web this year. Greatly appreciated. And uh, let's get going on with the podcast. I have a new sponsor for the podcast, Trout River Industries. They're the leading manufacturer of live bottom trailers in Canada, tailor-made for the paving industry. The innovations they have make paving a breeze. With their rounded tub design for lower center of gravity and zero asphalt left behind, the inset tailgate for a flush connection to the paver, the auto door, and the pneumatic mud flap so the driver doesn't have to leave the cab, the Trout River live bottom is the solution. Additional accessories for the paving industry like asphalt chute, releasing agent tanks, work light packages, strobe lights, all that stuff completes the package for their machines. Finally, the reversing belt allows you to balance a load and control the amount of asphalt coming out for multiple jobs. The trailer is the ultimate road builder and soon will be the pride of your fleet. Contact them today for more information and for a free quote. Call 1902-859-1200. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today's podcast is brought to you by Liberty Supply. So I don't know if you guys have ordered from Liberty Supply. I do. We get a lot of stuff from there. Liberty Supply is family owned and operated. And when you call, you talk to Sam. So if you call Liberty Supply's number, you talk directly to Sam. Sam is one of the owners. You can't do that very much anywhere else on on a scale like that. So uh, I'm very appreciative to have Sam when I call. So we use everything well, not everything, but a lot from Liberty Supply. Um, this year we used spray tips from Liberty Supply. Uh, we got our broom heads from Liberty Supply. They, we got some um, pour pots from Liberty Supply, crack squeegees, pretty much whatever we need when it comes to um, products as far as equipment, hand tools, all that good stuff, the spray tips, everything. So um, Liberty Supply, when we need something, we usually call over and Sam will have it ready in a short amount of time. That number to call them at is 800-397-9907. And Sam's probably going to answer if you're calling within business hours. And he'll get you taken care of. You can also go to libertysupply.biz, check them out there, and uh, you'll be good to go. The podcast is also brought to you by Stencil Plus. Stencil Plus is making moves. Uh, Jeff and the team and Neil at the team those guys are not only making moves, but they're making some pretty funny uh, videos and social media stuff too as well. Uh, we got every stencil we ordered this summer came from Stencil Plus. Never had an issue. It was here really quick. We recently used one on a project that I needed custom made a certain speed limit, like the slow ones, the elongated ones, and my length that I recommended uh, that I wanted it done. They were like, no, you need it, you need it done this way and uh, upon their recommendation of course I said yes of course and it's it worked out great it would have looked ridiculous if I would have done it which um, I'm grateful for that those guys have the knowledge and uh, know what to do but besides that um, we got a lettering kit a number kit I believe as well so 
Very excited for those guys. Obviously, Stencil Plus, you can find them on their stencilplus.com, of course. And then on social media at Stencil Plus, you guys are going to have a riot. Um, we love having Stencil Plus on board and very excited to keep them on board because um, it's worked out great. And I'm hoping to get Jeff from Stencil Plus on the podcast. So message him, guys. Tell him he needs to get on the podcast. We are also brought to you by the 800 Pavement Network. 1-800-BLACKTOP. Got it on my shirt, got it on my trucks. That's ours in the 608 1-800-BLACKTOP. Not only 1-800-BLACKTOP, but also 1-800-STRIPING as well. Um, it's worked out great for us this year as far as branding goes. We're getting near the end of the year, and people are associating 1-800-BLACKTOP with Wiscoat, which has been great. I know a lot of our contacts still come through the phone. It's a lot easier to remember than our regular number. I can tell you that. So I'm grateful that we have that and been able to put it to use. I would recommend it as a contractor that you think about getting one of these numbers. Um, they have over 200 contractors doing over $1 billion in sales within the network. The network itself, I've seen emails and stuff come through about um, insurances, health insurances, Workman's Comp, we had um, another, I did a Zoom meeting, I believe, about deals on Chevy trucks. So there's all kinds of stuff within the network, not just, hey, here's a number and brand it. There's been lots of tools and different things that we've been able to be part of and take advantage of as contractors. So when you get your number, all the calls go directly to you. There's no middleman. There's none of that stuff like that or whatever. So, I mean, but besides the account work that comes through as a contractor and um, all the meetings and different things you get to go to. There's also advantages in health insurance and breaks on different materials and products and trucks and different things like that. So you can find them on Instagram at Pavement Network, 800 Pavement Network, or you can go to 800pavement.com and find them as well. Hey everybody, welcome back to Blacktop Banter. This is episode 30, so we're moving along. This is season two. Um, my guest today is Mike Nawa. And Mike, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. You were actually introduced to me through a mutual friend, Brian Hess, uh, who said, hey, maybe you should get this guy on there. So if you'd like to uh, introduce yourself, let us know uh, your name, where you're from, and uh, what kind of a tie you have to the asphalt industry. Well, my Mike Nawa. I'm from Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, um, just south of Harrisburg. I've been sweeping uh, parking lots for the last 44 years, um, and uh, I've been involved in many aspects of asphalt, uh, seal coating. I've been on the periphery of all of the things you do, swept for a lot of seal coaters, painted lines for a lot of seal coaters after they were done, um, but sweeping was the, the thing that made my business what it was. Um, so how did, was, uh, how did you get into, um, because I know, I know people that have done the same thing, like they start doing everything and then they pick one thing and they really expand on it. Um, how did, how did, how did you pick sweet? I, I fell into it by accident. Um, one of our, my first company was a landscape company. Um, and we used a sweeping subcontractor, uh, to do various and sundry spring cleanups and fall cleanups and help out with things. Mm -hmm. And he had a heart attack. I called him one spring for spring cleanup. He said, I'm not doing it anymore. I had a heart attack in the truck and 
you know, just laid there until the cops went by. I wanted to know why the truck wasn't moving. And oh, wow. uh, so I said, what are you doing with the truck? He said, I'm selling it. So it was my first truck, my first line striper um, and, you know, things like that. And, and moved from uh, landscaping to hard surface in uh, 1976 um, and never looked back. The, the bigger that the hard surface got, the smaller the landscaping got. Eventually sold off the landscaping uh, to the employees um, and concentrated on sweeping. Um, and it was, it was a great line of work because as I tell everybody, as I, I try to tell people now, especially parking lot sweepers, um, parking lot sweeping is not a profitable enterprise by itself. But you're the guy who's at the shopping center more often than anybody else. Sure. So if you're there three, four, five days a week, two days a week, you're still there way more than the owner, way more than the property manager. So you're in a position to see the lights that are out, the uh, stop signs have been knocked over, the, the pothole is formed. And if you're in a position to, to fix that stuff, to take care of those things, then the property manager utilizes you for more and more things. And that's what our business became. We moved out of sweeping only in 2000 when my first company, Industrial Grounds Maintenance, um, sold that. Uh, my, my dad and I, I left that company and started custom maintenance services with my wife, Judy. Um, and, you know, he wanted to be sweeping only and I wanted to be shopping center maintenance. And <laughs> right. the, when the change came, I was at the NPE and Harold Green had a, a seminar on, on diversifying your services to your existing customers. Instead of going finding new customers, find new things to do for your existing customers. Mm -hmm. It made a great deal of sense to me. And, and that seminar changed my life. And actually, mm -hmm. that's been a long time. It, pri prior to 2000 was that seminar. And, and uh, I checked the other this year, and, and Harold Green is still at Chamberlain Contractors. <laughs> so he's had some longevity as well. I think um, that must be quite a testament for uh, MPE. To, to, for somebody to say uh, a seminar, one seminar changed my life at MP. I, I would have, I, I know more people than I don't who, who feel that way about certain aspects of NPE. Sure. Um, the, there are people who credit NPE and the people they've met there, not just the seminar, but the people they've met there sure. who changed their entire business. Um, part of it is realizing you're not alone. Mm -hmm. um, this business is very insular. When we're in an area, geographic area, like you're in a geographic area, yep. you know who your competitors are, and generally, they're competitors, not friends. Yeah, most you know, of the time. Yeah, you, you can't call them and say, "Hey, do you have an extra diaphragm for this for my pump? I'm on a job and I'm broke down." Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But without the first introduction, you can't. Right. Um, you won't. MPE has always provided that neutral ground, except for the people who live in the town that the, the show is in, yeah. um, where we can talk amongst ourselves. Contractors from Arizona and Connecticut and Wisconsin and you know Southern Georgia can all talk about the same problems you have with each other that, that you share, yeah. and you know you can find ways to to remediate those problems that you never thought possible. Yeah, I think uh, that was kind of my first thing when I first went to MPE. Um, you know, I, I, I was looking to figure out how the heck I do more. And that was the very, one of the very first things I found were a few friends, first of all, the equipment floor and just a few classes really were, was overwhelming for me and made me think, yep. oh my goodness. Yep. And then when I left there, I had that high 
for a little bit and then it started to fade. And that's why I started doing the social media groups and doing all the social media stuff was to try to keep that camaraderie together. Not only that, it became a valuable resource for me because I've made friends with contractors that I didn't have any competition to worry about that wanted to be friends. Like you said, it was very insular. And when you become friends with somebody and you have knowledge to share, that makes it a lot less insular and you enjoy your, your business. You start getting more, um, I guess, I don't know how to say it, I guess grat gratification out of what you're doing. And, Indeed. Uh, and, and I think that's what MPE even now today is the highlight of my year. And no matter what I'm doing, MP is the highlight of my year. And there's people I don't see for a year, and I see them there, and we didn't miss a beat, and, and I yeah. love it. So I agree. I, I when I my first I I went to the second NPE, and from then on, so that puts it at about 30 years I've been going to the show. Yeah. I spent 27 years on the board of the show. Wow. Um, they credited me last year as, as one of the founders of the educational seminars. Very cool. Um, and and I, I'm not sure that they're wrong, but I can't <laughs> credit my, my I, I know I wasn't alone no matter what happened. Yeah. Um, but the, the second show, there were no seminars. And in talking to Bob Waltring, the late Robert Waltring, who started the show, about what I felt the need for education that the show was, he literally just said, okay, you're in charge. And then he would, he would send me ideas for, you know, what about this? What about that? What about this? And he sent me to see um, Brad Humphreys and Jeff Stokes at one of their seminars. And he had, they had contacted him or he had contacted them. I'm not sure where that, where that came out. I yeah. said, their seminar was great. It had absolutely nothing to do with what I do. And yet it was well presented <laughs> and spectacular. And, and they formed the core of the entire educational program. For years, they, they and the people they knew and people they brought in and, and how that network expanded is exactly, uh, the network of educators at the show expanded is exactly how the network of people like yourself who know each other expands mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there, was, there were some great shows um, and great locations and great seminars and I can't say I've ever been disappointed in any of them, in, in a single one. Yeah. Well, Charlotte, Charlotte wasn't great, but... <laughs> Well, the, the, the very first time I spoke was at Cleveland and it snowed and that was the off year yep. kind of when things transitioned to Emerald and Rust. Yep. And yep. Uh, we made the best of that. I did. I think the floor was fine. The classes were fine. Uh, we made it through and we, we logged a year under our belt. But actually when you left the hall and you were meeting with your friends outside at one of the very few pubs and stuff where there was, um, I, I made some lifelong bonding friends at that NPE just because that's all there was to do. And it was like, well, we're going to make the best of it. And we had the very first like social media get together there. And um, I'm excited for this NPE. Hopefully it goes the way we all hope that it goes because um, we're going to have another get together and things like that. But just to see, you know, I've only been around NPE now for five years and to hear the stories of things the way it was before and at Charlotte and when we're, there was outdoor demos one time and things like yep. that. I get, I get excited and nostalgic about something that I've never even witnessed or seen, but to hear, <laughs> but to hear people talk about it gets me excited for the future because I couldn't imagine me, you know, myself uh, making a suggestion and Russ Turner looking at me and saying, okay, you're in charge of that then. Go ahead. My, my, well, I would have heart palpitations because it's just the size of it now. Um, you know, my little intricate part, uh, I, I like it. I couldn't imagine taking on very much more, but it's, it's fun. 
Well, and I, and I had been in business a, a, a couple of years by, by then. I mean, if we're, if we're figuring it was 1990, probably 14 years. Um, but I, you know, I felt alone that sweeping was not as well known as it is today. Yeah. You know, I remember my first bank turndown for a, for sweeping for a, a truck yep. that the bank actually said, I don't know why people would pay you to do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What, um, what was your first, what was your first sweep truck? Uh, 1976 Schwartz, uh, mini American round tank, didn't dump, had Dutch doors in the back and the winch to lift and raise and lower the head was a hand crank winch. Oh my goodness. Now, you, you know, like a, like a, like a car hauler, you know, you crank it up and you, know, you drive to your next stop, you flip the lever, you crank it down. <laughs> That's always, it's always been a, an interesting business to me because around here we have uh, a few um, industrial parks and like Walmart and things. So there's not a lot and there's not a huge market for it. So you don't, where I'm at, there's not street sweeping companies. Um, most of the industrial park or industrial places have their own sweepers that they use in house. Mm -hmm. But when I get to MPE and I see those huge Elgin ones and I see guys that do take on a lot of sweeping and things, it, it, it reminds me a lot of when I went and did some striping with the guys from marathon in Houston. And they're like, we got to do it at night. We only have eight or nine hours at night to do this bad boy. That's most of the time I see um, sweeping is being done at night most of the time. So how did you, did, did you guys have that same adaptation or did you guys go whenever you could, Mike, how did you do it when it came to sweeping? We were what, what the industry calls paper chasers. We were out picking up litter at shopping centers. Shopping centers have been my only customers. Um, at custom maintenance, they were my only customer. At, oh. at industrial grounds maintenance, we would sweep anything. Um, industrial parks, highways, bridges, whatever the Google expressway, you know, whatever contract was available, we would look into. Um, but I felt then, and I feel now I feel, I feel fairly secure in, that I was right. Not that they were wrong, but that I was right. That shop at retail is one of those things that if you build it, you've got a loan to build it. And the people who gave you the loan are going to make you maintain it. Yeah. They're not going to let their equity go, you know, down the drain. Sure. So, when it comes to sweeping and, and shopping center maintenance, it's, it's everything from nightly sweeping, emptying the trash cans to, to painting bollards, to yeah. you know, putting up a new stop sign, to you know, filling up a pothole with coal patch until the real paver shows up to fix the problem. Yeah. Cause we were not paver. We were just sort of the, you know, in case of emergency break glass guys. Yeah. Um, the, sort of the first responders, we knew what was going on and the parking lot lights are supposed to be on and they're not on. Or if a car goes through a, a storefront, hits the little old lady or gentleman, hits the gas instead of the brake, which has happened numerous times, yeah. you know, we get called to clean it up. And while we're there, we board it up. And, you know, it's just a, it's happened. I, I, the stories would take days and days for me to even remember all of the weird things that have happened during sweeping. I, um, I want to ask you a question about before I, before I lose it. Um, so when it, when, as far as your, client base being mainly shopping centers. Yep. How did you go about marketing yourself or sales to get the shopping center to even give you the night, the time of day or the attention, especially if they already had a contractor? Yep. O always a difficult thing. Um, the, the, the task was to set yourself apart from your competitors. Um, we were doing this from the very beginning. We did this full time. 
So um, many people that I know in sweeping, either starting or maybe even still, it's the one or two person operation. So the property managers at work, it's, you know, 1030 gets a complaint from a store that the trash can wasn't empty last night. He calls the sweeping contractor and he gets voicemail because the guy's asleep. Um, I had one competitor who was a, a postal employee and swept a couple of nights a week. It wasn't a real big thing for him. It was truly what he said to me was it made the payments on his Corvette. Huh. Um, nice guy, you yeah. know, but that's not, that's not the competition. Yeah. Um, a a property you- manager wants somebody dedicated to your craft like they're dedicated to theirs. Sure. You know, they have a full-time job managing this property. They would prefer not to deal with part-time um, contractors if they can help it. Sure. Uh, sometimes that's what you get. But um, in my experience, if the more professional you are, mm-hmm. the more respect the property manager will give you. Mm-hmm. And that also comes down to how you contact the property manager. Yeah. We exactly. were, we were, Big time in email, not a big time in real mail, not email. But again, let's remember this is like 1990, 1995, 2000. You know, um, we did a lot of work in person. Mm -hmm. I have a customer. um, Well, since custom maintenance was sold in 2000, when I say I had a customer, I've had a customer, but they're still with the the company that I sold. Um, They were located in Georgia, and. I had never met them. They, they had all the work was done over the phone and they paid their bills. And one day I was thinking of something to do. So I drove to their office in Georgia and made a call from the lobby and said, I'm downstairs. I'd like to just say hello. And I, and that I was in Georgia and I went to Florida because their um, timber development was in Florida. And I said, you know, what's a couple extra hours on this far. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I was one of the few people who would go to, my customers' offices. Right. Uh, I've been to Long Island to visit with Cedar um, and Vascood, and how do you, you know, make all that, Mike? How did you how did you manage all the way from Georgia to New York to everywhere? How did you, for as far as um, you know, the maintenance aspect of it? How many people, and how how did you how did you? I, I'm having trouble. Well, Remember, the, the customer's office was in Georgia, not their location. Oh, okay. Their, their shopping center was well, right here in Central PA. Okay, so did you do everything in Central PA for the most part? Yeah, we, we, okay. we did. Our, our, our service area, north to south, was close to 300 miles. Okay. Still good. And in that, in that, yep, in that 300 miles, we had um, five offices. Okay. Uh, one in northern PA, uh, two in Central PA, Two in uh, one in West Virginia and one in Northern Virginia. That wow. should be five. Um, Charlottesville, Waynesboro, um, and you know we employ people in those locations. We park trucks there, and we did that. We were able to do that because the 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 Charlottesville Waynesboro um, office came about because the guy we were doing a shopping center for in Harrisburg was building two shopping centers: one in Waynesboro and one in Stanton. Virginia. He said, can you take care of them? I said, well, yeah, that's two shopping centers. That's a, that's as big of a start as I've ever been given. Sure. And we were the landscaper, the, the sweeper and the snow plower. And um, we had a full-time guy with a truck and a plow and we had a subcontractor to, behind us. If we, you know, if it got really bad, but you know, it doesn't snow that much in, in the middle of Virginia. Sure. Um, and you know, the guy that we worked for us, he cut the grass and, 
swept the parking lots. And at one time we had two or three employees there and we got a few more shopping centers. We grow a little bit. Um, and it was a, you know, that's how we would grow. So we, we were customer centered, not geographically centered. Um, so as far as, um, you know, I know you said sweeping alone isn't going to do everything. Um, wh- why? Is there some companies that try to just do sweeping and that make it? Or is there, if you want to say smaller, you offer more services? I mean, because I, 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 I honestly don't. Elgins, I see, you know, some of those new Elgins. I just think of the price tag on some of those bad boys. And I think, my goodness, how long is it going to take to pay one of these suckers? Off? Well, if you, if you, and that, let, let's, the Elgin is an actual street sweeper. We didn't do street sweeping. You know, that's for much different contractors than myself. But now go look at a small parking lot truck mm-hmm. at the Victory booth or at the Schwartz booth. They're still yeah. 130 grand. Yeah, that's why I was going to say the Schwartz. Is I, I asked him last year and he said, well, over six figures. And I was just like, man. I we, yeah. we could justify any of that, but I see a lot of people do use them, and uh, I wonder about that. You know, what kind of margins are? Obviously, it's just the machine, but and, and well, the, but it, it, it's a machine that self-destructs sitting in the yard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a machine that is constantly turning left. You don't make. I, I always told my guys, you don't turn right in a in a sweeper because you're turning into your blind spot. Sure. So you always turn out the window you can see always making left-hand turns so you're scrubbing the front tires off you go like this until you're in the middle or what nope nope we just we go back and forth you start on the start along the curb you go and you go out along the perimeter you come you know you really you're you're at night in the headlights you'll see the trash yeah it's not like cutting the grass there's no pattern to it you got to just get the trash where it is oh with the the light bar and with the headlights and and sometimes the parking lot lights are on sometimes they're not and sometimes it makes the difference whether they are or they aren't. Some trash is, you know, a, a soda bottle, a, a aluminum can is reflective. Yeah. The lights aren't on and the lights of the truck hit it. How often um, How often was one shopping center, how often did you service it? Most of our shopping centers were five and seven days a week. Wow. There, there were a few that were, you know, three and four. There yeah. were an, occasionally a one yeah. a week. Yeah. Um, but at the time, so let's go back. Let's let's do like 2000. Let's do before the crash of 2008. So let's go to 2005, 2006. All right. Target was still uh, top of the market, still very brand conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, they were uh, seven days a week, and occasionally a day porter would go in one or two or three days to handpick the grass and along the back and clean out the dock areas and things like that. Um, Home Depot and Lowe's they were five days a week because contractors are. Dirty. Not, not the cleanest group of people. <laughs> Y'all say it. I'll say dirty. Um, I don't care. You know, they'll, they'll buy six bags of concrete. One will break when they're putting it in the truck. It'll just lay yeah. on the parking lot. Yeah. You know, um, it was what, three bucks? They're not going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a lot There was a lot to do at, a, at Lowe's and Home Depot. Um, so what about, <laughs> what I, I want to ask you, uh, I, I changed sub- subjects very quick, Mike, because That's right. I don't want to lose uh, track of what I'm thinking about. How I know you said you used uh, snail mail before, and and I've noticed, especially when it comes to sales, um, some of the tactics might change, but the general concept of how to win some some clients stays the same. How did you get your foot in the door? Because if I went to a shopping center right now and said, "Hey, I want to do the maintenance right here," where where do you start? 
Well, I always started with the property manager and I, I always I always made a point of I'm a very retail facility oriented guy. Sure. Um, I was in a town that I did not service at the time. Um, and I actually never did service. Um, I was driving past the shopping center and I noticed that the pilot, based on the pylon sign, somebody had sprayed graffiti on it. Sure. So I looped around, pulled in, took a picture of it, um, called the leasing number, asked for the property manager. Um, they asked what it was about. I said, well, I got some pictures of graffiti on the pylon sign at whatever shopping center I was at. And I just wanted to pass it on to him. Yeah. Um, and, and I got the guy on the phone and said, listen, my name's Mike now on services. Like I, you know, I don't service this area, but I was in your area and noticed that somebody had graffitied your pylon base. Um, can I send you these photos? He said, sure. And I send the photos and that was Phillips Edison. Um, and it took probably until 2012 before we got our first shopping center with Phillips Edison. Oh, really? But that, that, they, they that never forgot it because I wasn't making a sales call. I was just making an observation. Sure. Um, some of your best sales calls are just observations of what's going on in your market of things you're not doing. Sure. Um, not, not necessarily that your customers aren't doing, not that your competitors aren't doing. It's very possible that that guy could, oh, yeah, I know it's been there two months. I know about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say, well, if it's been there two months, why is it still there? Sure. You know, I'm certainly not going to say that to the guy. Right. But it, it's nice to be able to say to um, a company that's not a customer that my, my sweeper driver was on the parking lot next door and noticed you have six parking lot lights out. Did anybody tell you that? No, they didn't. I said, okay, well, I'm just going to let you know you got six parking lot lights out. Do, if you want me, if you want, let me know and I'll tell you which poles they are. Um, if you want them replaced, let me know. I'll, I'll get a crew out there and we'll replace them. And electrical work, roofing work, and air conditioning work was all subcontracted out. Yeah. We, had, we had one contractor for each service. We didn't bounce back and forth. We had one, one company for each solid service. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's, you know, to go back to the snail mail, because I, I got off track there a little bit. The, how I got my foot in the door was Harold Green, uh, after talking with him after the, the seminar, invited me down to his office in Hunt Valley, Maryland, and he handed me a stack of postcards that they send out during the year. Uh, one was for spring cleanup of like anti-skid. I don't know if anti-skid is big where you are in parking lots after the winter's over, they put sand or yeah. one B's or small Water stuff. Right. Down. Yeah. Um, that's got to get picked up. Um, pot, a pothole one, a leaf cleanup for the fall, a uh, line striping one. And all I did was just, if you want to know, for me to find the property manager, again, early on, I have become much more sophisticated now because the internet is much more sophisticated now. But in the past, if you're, if you're at a shopping center and, and you see the Kohl's and the Aspen Dental and this and that and, you know, um, Julie's uh, Cupcake Shop, et cetera, where do you, which store do you go in to find out who owns the shopping center? Right. That's why that was my question. Which it, it's the smallest one. The Julie's Cupcake Shop. She knows. Because, because the, if the owner is in there, the owner knows who they're paying the rent to. The manager of any store who's just a manager has no idea what their rent is, who they pay their rent to, who the property manager is. You know, yeah. and find the small independent guy, the pizza guy, yeah. the, you know, maybe the insurance agent, depending That's on what, what in a shopping center. The hair, the hair cutting matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the barber, not the holiday hair. You know, the regular thing. Um, th there's always um, permits um, for the shopping center. Many now, many of the pylon signs at the bottom or on the sign, they say owned and managed by. It tells well, you who the company is. Oh yeah, but well, here anyway. I mean, I, I can't yeah. speak for I you know. Because I, I have seen little tags on there, so now I want to have to look and see. Yep. They usually and, pop, know, it, they usually it, pop it, I think. Yep. Yep. Owned and managed by. No, um, I know that uh, before site centers was DDR, or before developers diversified was site centers, which they are now. Hmm. One of our jobs at their shopping centers was to go around to every single front door in of every single store and put a little sticker that. Um, it was a DDR owned and managed shopping center. Wow. It's on the door of every, it's on the front door of every, um, every store. That's now cool. that doesn't give you a contact, but it tells you who they are. Yeah. It tells you what company is now with the internet. I mean, if you Google the name of the shopping center and the words property manager, you're going to get it. It's, it's going to come right to you. Now, how do you get to him? It depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to seal coat, or, or, or talk about seal coating. I don't know how many shopping centers seal coat. I, my my uh, visual remembrance is not many. No, usually what I do is look to see if it's been seal coated before. Okay. So usually if, if it's been seal coated before, then I know there's a shot if, if it has. Okay. Well, but also look if, it's been, if, if it needs line striping. Because if you're yeah. doing seal coating and line striping, even if you don't get the seal coating, maybe you can pick up the line striping. We do that, yeah. Uh, crack sealing, line striping. If you, if, you, if you do seal coating, and but you also do crack filling and pothole repair, mm -hmm. then if it's not been seal coated before, look for potholes, look for cracks. Yeah. Um, sending the property manager a little educational blurb about the – the nature of cracks and how they form and um, you know, what's, what's next for a crack, you know, the, yeah. the cracks get together, becomes an alligator area, becomes a pothole, starts pumping mud and water. And now you've got, you know, for a, a dollar a linear foot, you can crack fill or for $8 and 20 cents a square foot, you can fix a pothole. Yeah. You know, it's, it's your choice. Take a pick, you know, so um, what, when did uh, you look to be about 42 years old, Mike, if I had to make it, <laughs> Um, are you starting to slow down? Have you slowed down? Have you retired? Have you not retired? Um, what, what what do you do now in in any aspect of life? Well, I um, in in my work life, I I sold the company and with my wife sold the company in 2017. I worked for the people that uh, bought the company until the end of September 2019, which was the two years on my contract. Uh, contract. Um, I took about two months off. And then I started to look and see what sweeping contractors needed assistance. Um, I can't compete with the people that bought my company, nor would I want to. I mean, that's, that's, that doesn't seem right. But there are sweeping companies all over the country. That could use um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I talked to a couple people and, and, you know, did some phone consultations, did some just chatting over the phone. Um, chatting at NPE in, in uh, early 2019 about my thoughts about doing that. Um, a couple people have said, you got to have me out there. I have two clients now that I work with very regularly. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, a, for me, it's not about the money. I mean, honestly, I'm a $35 an hour guy. Yeah. So it's, you know, you can have me for a whole week and it doesn't break the budget. <laughs> um, I like that. But it, I like that aspect, really. <laughs> so that's well, good. I, I, you know, I'm 63. I feel like I've got five more years that I can really contribute to the industry 
the downside is it's been now a year since I've been an active contractor. Mm-hmm. So in the last year, I've been talking to other people about their business. And because it's not happening to me in the industry, it's a lot harder to keep up with what's happening in the industry. Because sure. I don't see the phone calls don't come to me every day. The trucks don't break down. The, you know, the drivers don't quit trying to find employees is not my day to day anymore. Right. Um, so I'm trying to get um, the couple people I have, the one, the, the largest company, I'm trying to get them to work in work on the business and not in the business. Sure. The guy is still very committed to being out every day with the crew and, you know, great thing, but yeah. that's as big as a company will ever get until you can let somebody else handle that crew and, and get yourself on another crew and then let somebody else handle that crew and then just okay. keep, keep training and keep um, moving forward. Um, and you know, it, it's, that's what I want to do. I, I think if I talk to sweeping contractors about the options for business that aren't sweeping, the things you can do as a sweeper, the, the access you have to the one thing you have as an active sweeper that people like you and everybody else wants is who your customer is. Who are they? How'd you get a hold of them? How, how, do, they, how do you get more work? You know, that's yeah. the one question that's answered, that's asked more often than any other. Yeah, that was the first thing that came to my brain was, you know, in something so niche, how do you, how do you get to work? You know what I mean? Is it just, I, I understand that that client list and your clients in general must be that you know they must be under lock and key under your Fort Knox if you can. <laughs> no, no, because because it's all they're all out there in the open. If I can find them, so can anybody else. Yeah. But the issue is, long ago I I was told um, and and came to believe that customer satisfaction is nothing. Everybody makes a big deal about customer satisfaction. It's not the preeminent thing. Customer loyalty is what you have to strive for. Because I have had several customers in my business life that they were only in my portfolio because at the time I was the lowest bidder. Sure. If somebody would come to them in mid-contract and offer to save them $2 a sweep or $120 a month, I was out the door. Uh, I had a a job uh, awarded to me and... I was. I started it. We were maybe three or four days into it, and the guy called me and said, "Hey, listen, one of the bids came in late, and it's lower than yours, so we're canceling your contract and going with that guy." I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> you know. And I, I will say, I'm very proud of myself. I never worked for that company again. Very good. Very good. I, every time they called, I said, "No, nope, not interested." <laughs> so, so what else? Uh, what else keeps Mike Nawa busy? I know we were talking beforehand. I play guitar and write very poor songs, but. Uh, I noticed and uh, and asked you about playing claw hammer because I know you're a banjo guy. Um, yep. what, what what other hobbies keep Mike busy nowadays? Well, I, I still I collect banjos and and some vintage guitars. I have a, a couple of other vintage instruments that aren't either one of those. I have a ukulele, um, one or two mandolins. Um, I'm going to uh, hopefully when I. I'm done with all of this. You know, 68, 69 on. I'm going to start building banjos. I'm going to build the first few really, really poorly. <laughs> I'm I'll take one of those ones. I want one of those. But I want to. But I want to try it. You know, I I've worked with a couple of luthiers, um, and you know, I have some custom built banjos just for me. Uh, I have two Clinch River uh, Appalachian Mountain Tackhead banjos that the luthier built just for me. 
Well, how, uh, so how often do you play? How often do you play? Every day, multiple times a day. You in a, are you in a crew? Are you in a band? Nope. Nope. Well, I, I, my son is in a working uh, bluegrass band. You know. Uh, most, most of my kids have some musical interest or ability. Um, I do not. Right. It takes me a tremendous amount of effort and time to learn a song. Sure. Um, and, you know, to learn it and play it without looking at the music. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have to play every day. I play in the morning when I let my dog out. I'll sit on the porch and play for 45 minutes, have breakfast, uh, play for another 10 minutes and, you know, see who to talk to on the phone, go off to work and get some things done. Um, and when I get home, I play for a little while. And before I go to bed, I play for a little while. So when, I work when, when, when you and I first started talking, uh, last, I guess it was probably been, uh, last spring, maybe, um, you, we were talking about this building, um, yep. and everything that's in there. I know you were talking to me about it being an incubator and your daughter having a hand in things. And there was a coffee yep. roaster in there as well. Tell yep. us about the building. Cause if I come see you, I want to see the building too. Well, the place, the, the place is called the thought lot. The thought. Um, yeah. You. you look it up on Facebook. We're there. Um, it was a, a 10, it is a 10,000 square foot former warehouse. It was, it's the last remaining building of the original bicycle company, which is the people that make those uh, fold open Halloween decorations and, and wedding. Yeah. They still make those. They still make those in Shippensburg. Really? Um, but they built a new factory outside of town and the developer bought the, uh, bought their former industrial complex, knocked every building down except this one, um, and started building townhouses and stopped building townhouses. And the building sat vacant. And a couple of people said, hey, we'd like to use that for a little arts you know, venue. And they moved in, started doing some things. And uh, my daughter had her 16th birthday party there. Um, and she decided to get involved there. And that made me get involved there. Um, you know, and, and it was... Uh, a lot of fun. And uh, what's all in there now? What did you tell me was in there now? Well, there's, there's a wedding planner. Um, Hannah's, uh, my daughter's store, Whiskers Vintage and Vinyl, is in there. There's a music store. There's a coffee roaster. There's a bakery. There's several artist studios and several musician studios. You told me there's a stage, right? There's a, a big there's, there's a we have a 16 by 20 stage. We have a 28,000 watt Mackie digital sound system, Crazy. which is way too big for that building but say, it was crazy it was just you know i did that for myself yeah you know? and we have uh, our our lighting system was designed by a guy with the kennedy center award in theater lighting so it, it our shows look really good i sent you some photos of some of the shows so the yeah, lights it, are they look really good, good. yeah really places um you know we we foster we don't go for the local bands um we are sort of a stopover for regional touring bands. Um, there are bands that we would never have expected to get, but it was a Tuesday and they were going away from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia for a Thursday show. Yeah. And they stopped in Tuesday and, and played a show and, and it was, you know, it was a pop-up show. We had picked up a, one of my favorite uh, artists is Billy Lyre. He's a Scotland's angriest poet. He's a solo acoustic punk artist from Scotland. He was in. He was in Florida. You thought sweeping was. was you thought sweeping was niche. 
That's a really niche. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was flying out of Newark. He was driving up the coast with a with a friend of his looking for a, a gig, and a friend of his knows the thought lot and said, "Hey, can you give the guy a show?" I said, "Hey, we'll give it a shot." It's a yeah. it, it was Tuesday or Wednesday. I forget the day, and you know, I'm I wasn't into punk music until that show. Really, and, I'm, and I said to Brendan Gleason, the guy who brought uh, Billy up to the show. I want more of this. This venue needs more of that because that's a very, you know, the, the listening audience is a very tight, cohesive audience. So for one of the few times we actually filled the building up um, because there was a punk show and they all just show up and it was one, it was wow. fantastic. Um, we've had indie rockers. We've had, um, you know, people that have been, uh, We've had Juno-nominated artists, which is the Canadian Grammy. Um, we've had some, uh, let's see, bands from Tokyo, uh, Scotland, Sweden. It's, um, a, it's a mixed bag then if you stop there. and, and It is. Stuff yep. Where's yep. that, where that at? What, what, what town? Shippensburg, Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. I'm going to look that up. Yep. Mike, yep. Um, <clears throat> to bring it all back around, before we shut down for the night, this is a, I do, I rarely do night podcasts, but it's been a good one because it's been able to let us talk about a lot of different things and no one's in a hurry. Um, if somebody wants to, if somebody, let's say, let's say you didn't know that I kind of know a little bit about um, this industry. And I said, Hey, so-and-so told me to call you. I've never done sweeping. I don't know what I'm doing. I just know that there's a need. What do I need to do? What is that advice? What is some of the first few key points of advice you give somebody who wants to get into this industry? Well, uh, uh, I've had those calls. Um, and some of the things I want to know before giving advice is where are you? What, what town are you in? What, what part of the state are you in? Mm -hmm. How many shopping centers are there? How many are there malls? Are there strip centers? You know, if you look in the phone book or you look online or you look around your town, how many sweeping contractors are there right now? Sure. Uh, there, are, there are towns, major metropolitan areas like Philadelphia can always have another competitor. You know, I mean, there's, there's I don't know, 1,400 shopping centers in the metro Philadelphia area. There's probably 20 sweeping contractors. One more is not going to make a difference. Sure. How do you differentiate yourself from the people that are already going to do it? If you don't know what it takes to run the business, um, how are you putting a business plan together? Sure. Um, have you watched anybody sweep a parking lot? Have you been, I, I recommend that they go to NPE. I recommend that they give a call to Ranger at world sweeping association or one of the guys from NAPSA and, and find out more about sweeping from the trade or the two trade organizations that serve this industry. Um, and you know, I want to hear why they think they can do a job in their town. Now I will say I've talked to some people, one guy in Eastern Kentucky, um, he, he's, his only job was sweeping the one mall in town. He had a little T500 from Victory, a little tow behind sweeper, and he just wanted to get better than that. What's the next step? Yeah. And, you know, we talked about quality. We talked about what the T500 would do, what the T500 is not going to do, what blowers is he using, you know, and, and, it was a great conversation. Still talk to the guy every now and then, but in his, his, he was cutting the grass at that shopping center and they asked him to start sweeping. And 
he what is what's he going to do? He's not going to buy a hundred thirty thousand dollar truck for one job, right. and there's not there's not another job to be had. It's a little town with one shopping center. Wow. So somebody sold him a T five hundred, which would have been my thought to begin with. It's a simple to operate that does what you need it to do, and it's one step above Pan and Broom or Billy Goat. Really? Um, but there's you know it's I want to know what they want to do. I want to know why, I, and that's a that's a harder sell for me than the guy with three sweepers who wants five or six yeah. or wants, wants to take his three sweepers and parlay them into line striping and pothole patching and, and, you know, washing windows and cleaning out vacant spaces. That's an easier That's transition than going from blank. It, it is in, in my opinion. Yeah. It, and it's only my opinion because that's what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I went, I went up the truck ladder, more trucks, more shopping centers. And it, it never really seemed that I made the profit that I thought I was going to make until, again, I had to beat it up, but it went to, heard that Harold Green thing at the NPE and said, I, you know, I'm missing all these opportunities. I worked really hard to get these customers. Mm -hmm. Why aren't I striping them? Why aren't I fixing the potholes? Why aren't I, you know, telling them the lot lights are out, the graffiti on the back of the wall, you know, somebody moved out. Yeah. Those are things they want to know because they're not there and I am. Yeah, so that'd be, that'd be a good piece of advice for somebody starting out right away is to do that right away. Just get in there. I think so, yeah. And do it. Mike, um, any last words, anything you'd like to say before uh, we sign off? No. You driving to Nashville? I'm probably going to drive. I always drive. So okay. um, sometimes because I stay longer than I projected or I arrive earlier than I projected, um, last year or the year before, I think it was last year. I stayed two days after and went to uh, the Maker's Mark Distillery and all the stuff that I wished I would have did in, in Kentucky on the way up. Uh, I did that. So I really well, like are not that far out of your way if you're going to no, be good private. Most home, definitely. So. Most definitely. Michael, thank you very much for getting on the podcast. I really appreciate it. If we have striping questions, I know who I'm going to go to. Or sweeping <laughs> questions, I know who I'm going to go to. Or parking lot maintenance or property maintenance questions, I know I'm going to go to. Thank you very much, sir. Best wishes. Everybody stay safe out there, you and your family. Once again, Blacktop Banter, episode 30. We want you to pave it, stripe it, seal it, and sweep it.